right, got a lot going on. Now, sometimes that goes by really, really fast, so we actually have bulletins in the back. So um, I would say almost every bit of information that we did up here is also there, including where to give and how to give online and all the classes and schedules and that sort of thing. So don't forget your bulletins up there if you miss something or there's a lot of other information as well. So hopefully everybody has an outline and it should say, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. I think our environment right now, uh, all over the United States and all through the world, uh, if there's any dominant uh, characteristic or sort of a theme, it's not only the disease and all of that, but I think probably a deeper theme is fear. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of time managing fear the last couple of years. Uh, it's interesting, it takes you in a number of directions. But boy, I tell you what, when fear is turned loose in your life, it is a, a path to destruction. The thief comes only to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. Have you ever heard that verse, John 10, 10? But what he uses is fear, especially to kill, destroy, to distort, to take away, in other words. And so I don't know about you, but uh, I don't need anything taken away. But your own fear will cause that to happen because when you fear, what happens is you begin to cooperate with the dark side, the enemy. It's so funny because there's no one that's super brave, I found, you know. I mean, there may be some arrogant people, but most of us, like, <laughs> uh, it's funny. If, if the devil's not creative, God's creative enough to allow you to come to a place where you're challenged. Life is full of challenges, and so fear will probably never leave us in terms of it threatening us or coming toward us. So the more, most important thing is we need to learn skills, learn ways, understand God in such a way that we can slam the door to fear when it comes, right? Because the enemy will pay the, pay the same old tricks, the world will do the same old thing, because the world's full of fear, and you can't live in this world without getting some on you, right? The question is, how long are you going to let it linger, and what destructive thing you're going to let it play in your life? I've watched this over and over again in my life of uh, counseled people and through, through many years, you know. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, we can sit down there and go through the council and, yes, you got this, yes, yes, everybody. <laughs> and then something happens in the week that triggers a fear. They were okay while we were sitting there, but then fear kicks, whatever it is, you know, in the couple or family. And then they're down back and running away and going the absolute opposite direction of every wise bit of counsel that was given. It's funny. It's 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 you you can intellectually comprehend, right, what you're supposed to do. But when fear comes, it lights a fire in you, and then you start doing all kinds of crazy things. And identifying fear is critically important uh, in your business and your personal life. What's coming in there? What's the what's the real problem here? I assure you, the real problem is not your circumstances. Jesus gave you about every promise in the book to tell you he's for you and with you, not the least of which is the shed blood of Jesus Christ and a resurrection proving that you too will resurrect, not just in the end when you die, but through your whole life. I think life is just one big death and resurrection <laughs> or threatening thing and a resurrection. So maybe you're in a place where you're being threatened. Uh, it's amazing how the enemy and the world know how to push your buttons. Even your children know how to push your buttons. Make you afraid, right? They know exactly what to do and say sometimes. I mean, you've noticed that? Those closest to you? I mean, fear is rife in our atmosphere right now. So it's important that we kind of address it. And uh, 
So here's the title of the message, Don't Be Afraid, Just Believe. And I want to read uh, through some verses beginning in Lake, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. You ever feel like Jesus is asleep <laughs> in your boat? <laughs> a squall came down the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. So for you it might be we're going to drown in what situation? Maybe not your whole life, but I'm drowning in my marriage. I'm drowning in my, I, I'm going to drown if you don't do something. And you seem not to care. You're, you're, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't know how you can sleep in this. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And then he says to them, where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Now, where is your faith? I mean, like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed supposed to calm a storm? Well, evidently, in that question, there evidently is some sort of answer there. You actually have a role in calming the storm. That's why he asked, where is your faith? Not where is my faith. Oh, sorry about that, guys. I fell asleep. (laughs) No. Where is your faith? So this sermon is about your faith and my faith. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Oh, I love that section of Scripture. It's amazing, isn't it? So Jesus is always looking for faith. And fear is always the thief trying to steal it. Where is your faith? He asks. Matter of fact, Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's why the where is your faith question is extremely important. (laughs) See, so the thing is, he designed it this way. He designed the whole world in such a way that you have to exercise faith. And so with the exercise of that faith, you learn to be less fearful. But this is part of the way he set the whole thing up, right? That's really, really important to understand because if you don't understand that, it's going to be a really hard life. (laughs) He likes the exercise of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So therefore, that means there's going to be a few circumstances that are going to come that are going to challenge your faith, right? So it's a given, and it's a testing. And I'm not sure exactly why the universe is set up like this, except that I do think... Uh, Part of it, we can tell, is because of the fall. That has something to do with it. But more than that, I think, it has to do with the way God is calling his people to himself, the way he's shaping them to look like himself. Because he's not afraid of anything, right? So when you lose fear, you become a lot more like Jesus, and that's what he's looking for. He loves it when you look like him, right? So without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if everything is going smooth and there's no problems, nothing, how, how are you going to exercise faith, right? So it's amazing how he organizes that because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and then this is the second part, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And in this process of seeking him, finding him in difficult circumstances, you become more like him. You learn what he likes. You begin to be strong like he is. You begin to take care of other people besides yourself. And you begin to spread faith just like fear can be infectious 
So faith can be infectious. So I don't know about you, but I want to release a holy epidemic of faith (laughs) to combat this unholy epidemic of fear, right, which is all around us. And I think maybe it's one of the dominant characteristics of the time we live in. There's COVID and all this stuff associated with that. And then there's fear. And this fear part is the thing that God really wants to deal with the church the most. So as we look across the churches and places, I don't think the church has done that great a job. I don't think so. I think, uh, and I haven't done that great a job at times. But the one thing I've found I've had to do is calm myself down long enough to hear God's calming voice to tell me what to do. So in our congregation, we've done a number of maybe, I think maybe even uh, risky things in the eyes of most of the church. And uh, maybe not as risky as some. I didn't do it to be risky or not risky. I just did it to follow what the Lord wants, right? So how can the church stop? You can't stop. How do you, how do you stop eating and drinking? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And I figured out a long time ago, one way I get the word of God is through other people. And that's another weird way. You would think God would just thunder down from heaven, you know, and talk out loud or whatever, but he often uses the likes of us to talk to one another. So we actually build one another up. So without meeting, gathering, you don't hear as much of the word of God. I'm not just talking about the preaching, but that kind word someone says, that kind affirmation, a prophetic word that someone, God's still speaking. So gathering's a little bit important because we have this treasure in earthly vessels and I don't know why God limits himself like this so much, but the older I get, the more I realize He limits himself in a wonderful way through believers who have the Holy Spirit on the inside to minister to one another. So when you isolate yourself, according to Scripture, you quarrel against all sound wisdom. But in this particular case where we've been, isolation has been the call of the day. Governments are calling us to do that. Every realm of life, schools and everything, be alone. Don't go out, you know. Well, for a Christian, this is like weird. This is like, wow, it's like I'm a fish. I have to have water. (laughs) You want me to swim out of water? I can't do that. Ever seen a fish out of water? It's a pathetic thing. (laughs) It's horrible. You don't even want to watch it, right? That's the way we are out there. I've been seeing lots of people like that. They're out there trying to survive. They haven't been to church in a year. (laughs) They can't figure out, why am I so afraid all the time? Because you need other people to help you <laughs> believe. Because just like fear is infectious, so is faith, right? So if we look at 2 Timothy 1.7, I love this, this verse. Why don't you put that verse up? I, I love this verse so much. It's uh, been so incredibly encouraging to me for a long time. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, one thing the world hasn't understood in this crisis is why all these Christians are so bold, why they don't obey, why they don't just sit down and, you know, listen to everything, you you know, all the weird, crazy restrictions, because we literally walk to the beat of a different drummer. I'm sorry. I mean, I have a supernatural presence. I don't have, I'm not just a person that stands with a body of ideas swimming around in my head. I have someone talking to me all the time and he's not afraid of anything. And he's inside me and he talks, right? So I can't stop the racket, you know. 
in the racket is good. I love you. Don't be afraid. You're going to be all right. I got this in hand. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to answer that prayer. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us what? Power, love, and self-discipline. When that's going on inside of you, you're not afraid, right? And so I love that passage so much, and it's really the truth. So the opposite of fear is a spirit of power, love, and that interesting word, that self-discipline word. Usually we think of self-discipline as something hardworking or something, but really what it means is sound reasoning according to God's definition. That's self-discipline. Sound reasoning, that's what he's really getting at here. It's power, love, power, and, but interesting thing about God's sound reasoning. Have you ever watched what God asks his saints to do? <laughs> it's crazy, and it's sound reasoning at the same time. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's what he calls sound reasoning. That's what he calls self-discipline. <laughs> it's I don't live for myself. I live for other people. And I have the authority on me to do that by the supernatural power of God. That's why he stood up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And we can do the same, right? He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. I want to read that verse again from Luke. Uh, go back to Luke chapter 8, verse 24. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. And then the next question he asked them is, where is your faith? Now my guess is the reason why he fell asleep, the reason why the whole incident happened, is he wanted to ask them that question and shock them. Because the thing is, we have some of the things that make us terrified. It's amazing. Everybody has a different door. Everybody has a different thing. You know, there are things that some people, eh, no big deal. But if you open this door over here, terror, right? We all have those, honestly. We all have it. The bravest person around has these little things, right? That just cause them terror, right? And the enemy somehow has this way of knowing what that is and pushes that button, right? But Jesus pushed this button because he wanted to tell them something really, really important. So he's sleeping through the storm, knowing full well what's going on. And he's really been dying to ask him this question for a while. So verse 25, he says, where is your faith? Right? Jesus was testing the disciples, and he tests us. Proverbs 17:3. listen to this. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Boy, if you're going to walk with God, you better figure that one out. It's not just your circumstances testing you, but the Lord tests the heart. He wants to know what's inside. Sometimes he just checks out the hood. What's under the hood here? <laughs> then he allows this storm to blow through. And he says to you the same thing. What are you so afraid of? Where is your faith? So how do we get faith? Well, we go through a storm, we get to the other side of it, and we remember now, this is the one thing I'm really trying to build in my life. I'm trying to remember when I went through a storm so when the next one comes, I'm not so freaking out all the time, right? This is why they come. They come to build your faith. Jesus was doing nothing. He's sleeping in the boat to actually underline something. You can sleep through your storms. I'm in charge. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. And he brings just the right storm for you in just the right way that triggers you. You ever notice that? And here they come. He allows it to come. 
You know, he doesn't cause the storm sometimes. Most of the time he allows it to come. And then what we do, because we're in the world of the flesh and the devil and what all that. And then what he does is he encourages and helps us to learn how to respond. So hopefully at the end of the day, we're not such fearful people. And also, can I just say this specifically? So that we're not triggered by the same thing over and over again. So maybe for you it's the fear of money. Maybe it has to do with your business or just your... Maybe for you, it's the fear of sickness. Maybe, maybe your father died of, uh, early from some illness or sickness. Maybe for some of you, the, the fear of someone leaving you. You know, Maybe you went through a divorce as a child and one of your biggest fears is divorce. Or Sometimes, though, if you let that fear run rampantly, it, it will do exactly what you don't want it to do. In other words, you're afraid of it. Sometimes you're going to take care of it and your, your fear lifestyle is trying to insulate yourself around it. But that terror that's in your heart inside here is actually making the problem worse. Then when you don't understand that, then you get even worse. <laughs> right? It's a spiral down. So Jesus is trying to explain to us that you need to learn by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And that's, some way that, that's the way we deal with fear, right? So look at Roman numeral 2. Don't be afraid. Just believe when the supernatural power of Jesus scares or confuses you. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Now, we don't see a lot of these people, although I think we're actually beginning to see more now. In our inner cities, in some of these places where people are totally demonized, hooked on drugs, crazy, it's beginning to happen. In the third world, this is fairly common. We'll see people that have been in a sort of situation like this, totally demonized, roaming and doing crazy stuff and howling in the night and all of that. This is actually interesting. I was, I'm sitting here thinking that because in our culture, we hadn't seen much of this, but we're beginning to see more and more of this. People like this, right? They're not living, you know, their clothes are worn and they're saying crazy things and, and they're on drugs or maybe they're mentally ill or whatever, but it's becoming more and more visible. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do, you want me, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. That's the end of all demonic things. When time is summed up, that's what's going to happen to them. And the funny thing is they know it and they don't stop. Demonic things. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, and kept under God, he had broken his cha- guard. He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Into solitary places. Jesus asked him, "What's your name?" Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. That's what they're afraid of. I'll tell you what, you have the name of Jesus on your lips. Demons are more afraid of you than you are of them. Because of this one fact that they, to exist, need to possess people, need to come into people to express their personality. If they don't get to express their personality, they start freaking out. Especially because the alternative may be they go into the abyss or maybe are sent by the abyss to one of, by one of us in the name of Jesus or by the finger of God himself. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went to the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man with whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, 
and they were afraid. And by the way, whenever you see that happen, it's one of the most wondrous things of all. When you see a person that's been totally demonized, dressed and sitting in their right mind, I've had that occasion to have that happen a number of times. It's one of the most beautiful things, the most beautiful acts of redemption. A person totally tormented and, and now is calm and uh, isn't driven by this horrible demonic possession. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Now, the answer to all their problems has just appeared, and they're afraid of him. They're more afraid of him than the demons because they're assuming, I suppose, that they're doing this uh, out of demonic power. It's one warlock warring another one or something. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for them. So even when we're oppressed, we're never far from God's deliverance. He works justice for us. And I want to just read a couple of these verses that I just think are, are so incredibly beautiful and important for us. One of them is Psalm 103, verse 6. The, Lord's, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. So if you're being oppressed right now by anything, part of God's job description is to work righteousness, in other words, His way of living, His way of life, His emotions into the thing, His sense of justice, and justice for all the oppressed. So He's always working these things in us. I love the, that scripture so much. And part of... Uh, what Jesus does is also expressed so well in Isaiah 61, 1-3. This is what God does. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. When the Spirit shows up on me or you, and this is about Jesus prophesying about him, but by extension, this is what was going to happen with us. Because the Lord has anointed me. And so what was the Lord anointed to do? And then uh, what are you anointed to do? Anointed means the power of the Spirit's on you to do this. In other words, you have a gift to do this. You have power to do this. This is something God's interested in. So when you begin to do it, you become anointed. He anoints you to do this. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So I have to remember this passage a lot as I deal with the poor and as our church does. I have to think about this and remember this because sometimes the poor of the weak, those that are in a really dangerous, difficult place, sometimes they are so hard to deal with. And the different kinds of configurations that have existed uh, because of the drug epidemic and the drug problems related and all this. And people tie themselves in such a knot or get tied in such a knot by the evil one. Sometimes you just want to throw up your hands and just, I don't know how. And uh, the drug problems were into it, the mental illness that we see and all of this stuff. So I have to remember that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is not only on Jesus, this is a messianic passage, but it's on me by extension. That's what God gave me. So I have to remember, wait, wait a minute. Okay, this is a big one, man. Lord, I, I, I sometimes we'll get things and people are so messed up and so screwed up and have so many things wrong with them, like a, long, a laundry list as long as my arm. And I look at them and I go, wait a minute, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. I can do this. And so in faith, we actually have to go out and step in faith with a lot of people and help them through. And then the Lord will do some amazing things, but oh, so crazy because he never does it in advance. He doesn't give you a computer printout and say, okay, there's this person that is so busted up and screwed up, now go do A, B, and C and they'll be fine. No, he never does that. He says, well, why don't you do A? 
Okay, but there's B, C, and D, I know, but just do A, we'll work on B and C and D. And we follow the, what I call the yellow brick road. <laughs> and just follow the road. And he doesn't reveal it all at once, and he doesn't heal them all at once. We want push button, instant, broken people healing. And he almost never does it. He does it one step at a time, rebuilds their life. So if you say, oh, I want to help the poor, you do, do you? So you go and you feel real good about yourself because you got some food together and you fed somebody, which is great. I love it when people volunteer and just help us with that. But I think what we're really after is the long-term thing. Okay, what happens after I give them the meal and they have to go sleep under that tree tonight, right? Ooh, well, how am I going to answer that one? I can't even find a rent for myself that's reasonable. A lot of you are saying that. I, I can't even find a place for myself. I can't put it for, for my family, my children, right? So it's a unique time we're in because we all find ourselves in this situation. <laughs> and so like thinking about someone that doesn't have anything is like we're just trying to cope ourselves and stay above water. My guess is right in this congregation right now, maybe a quarter of you are having some sort of problem with where you live, right? So here, listen to this. But the Lord has anointed me and us, you and me, to proclaim good news to the poor. And part of that good news is, okay, I'm glad you're saved, but now you're going to have to have a place to stay. And you probably got some like critters on you that need to be delivered from. <laughs> and there's also possibly drug issues that have to be resolved. And my goodness, it would be nice if you had food to eat and a place to live, right? So good news to the poor is no romantic thing, right? And to get into the other parts of the world, it gets even crazier right? The poverty there. Sometimes I go to the third world and get consoled about the poverty in our own area because you go out there and you just realize, wow, large spanses of people with no medical care, no place to stay, no place to go, tormented by wars and rumors of wars, injustice. There's no justice system. There's no one that will fight for them, right? So that's part of our job description. Not, on not only on Jesus, but on the body of Jesus, which would be us, right? That's us, right? So to proclaim the good news to the poor. Where am I? I've got to keep reading this. Somebody tell me. Oh, Isaiah 61. All right, here we go. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the year, day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, as I read through these, this is all our job description. This is what he sends us to do. God sent me to do that, now I'm sending you to do all this, right? So this time is a great time because I think the church generally is more mobilized to do these things than they ever have been, at least on the United States side. We really are, and it's in the air. It's just that when you start doing it, what was in the air and what was theoretical suddenly becomes incredibly practical and intensely time-consuming, and it takes every bit of anointing that you have to minister to this, these sort of people, right? And we're learning to do that. And by the way, this is what we're called to do. I just say unequivocally, every church is called to that. But I say especially we have concentrated in these areas. That's why there's a mercy warehouse. That's why there's so many other things, inner healing things that you'll hear about, things that we do with regard to healing your soul, uh, prophetic things, supernatural things, practical things. Because it's all about this, binding up the broken heart, freedom from captives, 
proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This will be, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the plant of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's why we cannot be like the world. We can't have these attitudes. See, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be with Jesus providing for those that are grieving, right? To bestowing on them a crown of beauty. Our job description is oil of joy instead of mourning. Our job description is a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Our, our job description is to create oaks of righteousness, a plant of the Lord for the display of his spirit. And oh my, there's nothing more beautiful than to see a person, maybe over a span of a year, who was on the street or in a difficult space or in a bad marriage or having a hor horrible anxiety attacks. They see them all calm down in their right mind and walking with God. In the midst of a horrible divorce, trying to recover from a horrible divorce, you name it, that's what we do. It's a joyful thing, but it's by the power of God. This is the way God does it. This is what, he, what He's all about, right? So don't be afraid. Just believe when the supernatural power of Jesus scares or confuses you, right? Our job description is get right in that place where demonic things live, right? And so... We may see some amazing things, but the finger of God is with us. The people were afraid that Jesus was some kind of prince of demons. That's why they got afraid. They didn't know. Now, I think we're past that. But they thought, well, this is just a stronger demon than the guy before, right? And so uh, that's why they were fan uh, 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 panicking. But look, if there's good fruit, keep your heart open and ask God for wisdom and confirmation for the things of the Spirit that are new to you. So I know that a number of you are newer to us. And so this is why I take so much time in my Life in the Spirit class to explain things to you. Because supernatural things, whether they're evil or good, are not easy to understand in a culture that basically has uh, a worldview that is secular in its nature. I don't mean that we're totally secular. It's just the way we look at a life is way different than the, reason, the way that other people look at life throughout around the world. That's why we have so much trouble with the Middle East. We just can't take these people serious. They actually have a supernatural worldview about life. That's what makes them so dangerous, too. They believe it right at the core. There are imams and all of them. They believe at the core of what, you know, the worldwide Islamic empire. They, they don't just kind of believe that, wink, wink. No. No, they believe it at the core. That's why we have to understand, right? <clears throat> so, then... Dealing with this, dealing with sickness, dealing with illness, learning how to walk in the Spirit is a weird thing because we're dealing with spiritual issues here, right? So Luke chapter 11. Any kingdom divided itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive, drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So one thing I'm reading, reading these passages is because when we get into supernatural lifestyle and we're healing the sick and we're prophesying, we're saying things, sometimes one of the main things I, I run into with newer people is they, their mind, I don't know why this is, but it immediately goes to the demonic. Because they've never seen anything supernatural in the Lord before. Because their whole thing was mainly about you know, sit down, listen to a message, you know, and do a little worship, go home, and, and then do some good for people, but not 
the ongoing relationship of the Spirit of God speaking to you, prophesying through you, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. That's what Jesus told his disciples. But the funny thing is in our culture, because it doesn't have a supernatural worldview, when people start doing that, they start really wondering if it's the devil. Well, that's just like, well, I never saw that in church before. <laughs> I've never been trained that way. Nobody ever told me about that. You know, I've been in church years. Yeah, but maybe your church was more a reflection of the culture than the kingdom culture, because kingdom culture is like from A to Z. Otherwise, you have to throw half the Bible away. It's the weirdest book in the planet. It is weird. This whole thing is weird. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's weird. If you actually believe it and then say to them, I want to be like this, it's weird. It just is. And that weirdness sometimes is too much. So sometimes I tell people as they come into our church, just keep your heart open and ask God for wisdom and confirmation for things of the Spirit that are new to you so you can grow. Now, hopefully we will have enough patience with you to help you <laughs> grow in that, right? And then sometimes we need patience with ourselves. Because I'll tell you, this COVID thing brought a whole new deal about, like, here's like, this is a whole new curriculum for us, for many of us, right? Okay, now what do we do? The government does not want us to meet. Uh, where is that in the book? Uh, what do we do? Uh, oh, I encourage you to keep on meeting together. That's what the scripture, well, like, would I mean, surely they never had a pandemic, you know? And so we're learning all over. What do you do in this kind of deal, right? What do you do when the government's saying certain things to you that you've never been saying? What, what, what how do you respond? What does that look like? So, you know, we're learning. We're learning. And uh, I just say this to all of you. One of the greatest dangers to the church right now, because actually I think we have a few ideas about the way maybe the government should run things, is arrogance. Could I caution you against that? If you get into an arrogant place where you just think you know everything about everything and how it's supposed to go, you're going to fail miserably. Because I'm telling you, this is a time for learning. It is not a time to be a know-it-all. But in our learning, we're going to have to try out some things. We're going to have to step out in faith. And we're going to have to exert some influence in areas we never have before. And so we need to do it humbly with all our conviction, but not arrogantly. And I see that creeping in from time to time. Sometimes in the prophetic, they get arrogant. Honestly, that's the truth. They feel arrogant to me. And when they do that, I know, uh-oh, I've smelled that one before. I've done that one many times myself. But thing is, we're learning some new tricks. Because we haven't ever been under this sort of weird circumstance before. So we've got to give ourselves a little bit of room to learn. How do we conduct our affairs as the Church of Jesus Christ in this sort of environment that we have? Because we haven't been this way before. So on the one side, we don't want to get proud because pride goes before a fall and even bring a sort of fake pride that can be punctured by one little uh, thing the enemy brings, you know, to hurt us. One little trial, one little thing punctures our big balloon. We're having this great party, and then reality hit. Now Junior has to find a school that isn't uh, teaching some sort of hedonism or some sort of worldview that we just can't even agree with. We never would have even thought of educating our kids. I never even thought of starting a school. Except I had learned new tricks because the school system is getting more and more corrupt. So I had to do something about it, right? Hopefully not arrogantly and believe me with fear and trembling. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Even when the supernatural power of God scares or confuses you, oh, I wouldn't have been scared in that day. Oh, really? Well, he'll find something else to scare you. 
The school scared the heck out of me. And other things he's asked us to do. I'm thinking, what? You want me to? You're kidding me. Now? I don't want to do that. That's going to cost money. Lots of stuff. I don't want to do that. So don't be afraid. Just Oh, no, we're okay with healing and all that. But what about the other things Jesus asks you to do in the midst of this environment? Right? And so we need to learn. And don't be afraid when God calls us to really brave things. I think he's been, we've been doing a fairly good job. I think the church has been fairly brave. Not only our church, but the church at large. It's so important to not be afraid. Just believe without arrogance. Just believe without unreality. Don't get ahead of your headlights. Because there's plenty of room <laughs> for us to, to launch out into faith in this new season. I'll tell you that right now. And I think God will unfold the plan for the church and how we play into it as the years go on. I think he'll show us. He's going to show us what to do about politics. He's going to show us to do about mercy, especially mercy in terms of how we as the church handle the poor and the weak. He's going to show us how to do that. This is a situation where we must learn. We can't act like we know it all. If you act like you know it all in that dimension, it's going to, you, you'll give up. Because there's so many twists and turns and understanding. And I think there's a lot of things that we're learning. So in this environment, could I just say, don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe and follow Jesus. And be willing to make mistakes, but whatever you do, guard against absolute terror and fear, because it will take us the wrong way. And if we try a couple of things, whichever way we go and it don't work out, okay, fine. That wasn't very good, but let's keep on going, right? Whatever area you're launching out into this new season... I'm saying this somewhat prophetically. I tell you right now, the church is going to learn how to do new things, respond new ways in every area of life, politically, financially, school-wise, every area, health, everything. We're learning now. But the main thing is don't be afraid. God will show us. He'll show us what to do. Sometimes when you do something that is irrational in the name of faith, it ends up the same way. It doesn't end up in a good place. So there's this balance where we just think and we work. So just be a great learner during this time. And uh, could I just say something specifically over uh, your, your jobs, okay? I don't know if there's anybody worried about your job. Probably no one in this room. Nobody worried about their job, right, or how they're making a living. So just in case there might be one or two of you out there, listen, here's the good news. Let Jesus reinvent you if you lose your job or you're out in the you know whatever i just encourage you don't be afraid just believe now maybe you had a great job for 20 solid years and now it's gone or maybe you're finding yourself without a house for the first time in 20 years or whatever don't be afraid just believe the lord will take care of you and i have this series of sayings that i'm beginning to develop we've been developing it for years but Here's how good God is. He's going to give you double for your trouble. I'll say that again. He wants to give you double for your trouble. For whatever trouble you go, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Well, I think abundantly doubles a good deal. Okay? That sounds abundant to me. Right? And there's some precedent for that that in other scriptures that I have about that. But God's a double God. He's, put this way, He's a good measure, pressed down, shaken together God. 
right? That's who he is. So when trial comes and the stealing and taking away and, and, and making us afraid, just remember that on the other side of it, if you're brave and you won't give up and you won't succumb to fear, God will show you how to make more money than you ever have, how to educate your children better than you ever have, how to navigate your living situation better than you ever have. We look for more, not less, in this environment because we're not afraid. Don't be afraid, just believe. And believing doesn't mean we scrape along or just barely making it or just going to barely hang in there and get by the skin of our teeth. There may be some time of that, but God doesn't ever take you there. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Well, that's just about like maybe some abundant joy. Yeah, that's not a bad one. <laughs> Happiness in the midst of all these people that are terrified and fearful. That's a good one. But how about abundant finances, abundant health of my kids, abundant relationships, abundant marriage, whatever. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. But the thief, he only comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So I'm on the other side of the ledger. The good measure, pressed down, shaken together ledger, right? Don't be afraid. Just believe. This is what God has for us. Roman numeral three. Don't be afraid. Just believe when you feel completely unworthy to approach God. So we look at Luke chapter 8. When Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue official leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So you can imagine what that was like. Have you ever been in a crowd that you felt like, man, if these guys go the wrong way, it's gonna, this could be very bad for me? He was in that kind of crowd situation. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Now, he wanted to know. He felt faith come from him. If you touch Jesus in faith, something comes out of God. This is what the scripture is saying. You touch Jesus. You just got to find out, okay, God, how do I touch you in faith in this situation? How do I walk this out by faith? He may give you some very strange answers, by the way. Because there are some areas that we're okay with exercising faith in, but there's other areas we just don't feel good about exercising faith in. That's the scariest thing of all, right? So he challenges on those things. Some of you are okay in the area of finances, but get your health, get one little sneeze, and you are freaking out. Other people have dealt with disease and sickness for a long time, but uh, if you touch their finances, they will freak out, right? So this person, there's two people involved with this. Who touched me, Jesus asked, when they all denied it. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. You know, everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Someone touched me. I know that power went out for me. When you touch Jesus in faith, something goes out of God. It just leaves. Wow, isn't that amazing? I touch God in faith and something supernatural, good, comes out. Right? So this is what happened. The woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how he'd been instantly he- how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, "Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. Your faith, working with God, healed you." Well, some and by the way, this time we're not going to avoid that. Your faith is very much in play here. Your faith. You don't want to have faith. You want God to just do it all. No. Somewhere or another, along the way, anything good that's going to happen through your life, your faith is going to be challenged. Some of you are considering things. 
just have to figure out, what do I do in this situation? What's the choice I make? And it'll probably require faith. And the question is, am I ready to do that? Can I do that or not? Or is that the way God wants me to go? Well, Jesus was still, Jesus was still speaking. Someone came up from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. So he's on his way to heal this daughter. And she says, your daughter is dead. Don't bother teaching her anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Now, I thought about this story a lot. She's dead. What's the sense? And I've got to face this wife of mine. And I'm going to bring this guy who's very controversial and bring him in the house. And then he's going to come in and pray, and it isn't going to work. And it's just going to be even more horrible. I just need to cut my losses and run. You know? He didn't do that. I, the one miracle here, the woman reached out and touched him, but this thing caught, took a lot of faith. They said to him, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she'll be healed. Wow. Sometimes people come in our life, just let it go. Just let it go. Don't do it. Don't, just, it's okay, you know. Just, just going to have to accept this, right? And Jesus turns back to us and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Maybe some of you are thinking about quitting or going a different direction or whatever. Listen, I just think this word is so powerful today. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Your business, your life, your family, they'll be healed. Don't be afraid, just believe. So when you're not afraid, then that means you're going to have to make a response. Okay, so it's one thing for me to say to that person, don't be afraid, just believe, right? But now he's got to go home and face his wife for a miracle that probably won't happen and make the whole situation worse. So he had to exercise faith, didn't he? So he did. He exercised that faith and brought Jesus home. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's mother and father. Meanwhile, all the people are in the background. You can imagine the scene. They're out wailing in the morning. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. Then they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned at once. She stood up. Then Jesus told him to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. My child, get up. Oh, I tell you, I think God's doing that all over Christianity right now. Get up. Get up. You can get up. Get up. Things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. Get up. Pick that thing up again. Pick that relationship up again. Pick that job up again. You can do it. You can be healthy. You can be well. Pick it up. Don't be afraid. Just believe. But when he asks you to believe, there may be something you have to do. The woman reached out and touched Jesus. In this case, Jairus had to bring Jesus all the way home <laughs> to this house that's in total, war, uh, uh, total uh, grief, right? All right. Roman numeral three. Don't be afraid. Just believe when you feel completely unworthy to approach God. I want to just say this one more time as I'm going over this. Um, so she was ceremonially unclean, but she touched God anyway. Jairus was amazing because he went and brought him home anyway, right? So that brings us to Roman numeral four. Don't be afraid, just believe, even though it seems the past cannot be fixed. Right? I want to tell you today, the past can be fixed. There isn't nothing broken that God can't do. So, what was going on in the mind of Jairus, we've talked about. 
But I want you to notice something. To remember the Christmas story, and I want to go back because it's so instructive to us, Luke chapter 1. So Zechariah wasn't able to have a child. And I want you to listen real carefully to this because this is playing out all across the church and all across the people of this room if you're a believer, all right? So I want you to really listen carefully because we're going to go right back to the Christmas story. So we all know this story really well, so I don't have to linger on it, but all of us know about Zechariah. And his wife and he had been barren for many, many years, right? But the Lord decides to change the situation, right? And so what happens is there's an announcement of an angel, no less. Okay? Now, what do you think about this? So this is an angel of God that appears to him. And many of us say, oh, if I could just have an angel of God appear to me, then I would know what to do, right? Really? So he's given him invitation to have something else change. So the thing is, we're going to see in the story, the more dramatic the promise, beware of what you receive, remember what prophetic word comes, whatever you read from the Bible, whatever you hear from God, right? Because when he says he's going to do something, then you're accountable to walk that thing out. But more importantly, at the front end, to receive it in faith. God speaks something, a promise, then we believe. This is a pattern all through Scripture. You got that? How about Abraham? Almost dead. You're going to be the father of all who believe. And he's looking back over the whole earth trying to find one person that would believe that promise that he had to give. And Abraham somehow believed. And it took action. And then he's, the child's born and then he says, go kill the child. What's that all about? But by that time, Abraham had been skilled, and he, skilled in faith. He had a little bit of rhythm. Sometimes the kingdom looks upside down. So Zechariah, angel comes and says, you're going to have a son. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And then, okay, so I just encourage all of us. This is something I'm the most afraid of all, okay? If I have a problem and then I get good news or I get the answer, I want to be alert hear the good news, and then act on it. Because how horrible. you praying, complaining, fasting, praying. Then the answer comes and you go, well, is there another answer? <laughs> right? You ever done that? Man, I have. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at this appointed time. Now, I've got enough problems in my life without offending God <laughs> and going like dumb. I can't speak anymore. Okay? But evidently there's something so precious about a promise that comes from God and God so much wants us to respond in faith. It's critical that we do that, right? And so... It's so important for us in this time when God brings promises to respond uh, in the right way, isn't it? And then Mary, the mother of Jesus, we all know about that. We see her response, right? I mean, hey, you're going to be the mother of God. How will this be? I'm a virgin. Okay, fair enough question. The Holy Spirit will come on you. What? The Holy Spirit will come on you. What? The Holy Spirit will come on you. 
And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, coming out of my womb, the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to receive, conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Can you believe that? That's where we all need to go. I'm the Lord's servant. Okay, God, I'm going to walk this thing out. See, it wasn't just that she had to believe in that moment. What's she got to do? She's got to walk this thing out in front of her neighbors, her friends. She's pregnant, and there's no husband, no marriage yet. The voices are cackling, the whole thing, and it's a horrible thing she's going to have to undergo. But she says, you know what? I'm the Lord's servant. Bring it on. Isn't that amazing? And we see this response from Mary, and it's incredibly critical, but it's incredibly critical for our hour. You know, faith has a sound to it. So we read the rest of the story. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, listen to this, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And she had her own thing going on with John the, John the Baptist, and it says there, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She believed the promises of John the Baptist. Mary believed the promises of Jesus. And that word, blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her, is for all of us here in this room today. Blessed is the person who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises to you. Well, you say, what promises? Well, you can take them from the word. There's every kind of promise imaginable. That's why the word of God is so powerful. But also, if you look carefully, you'll find in the Word of God your own specific purpose that you can hang on, that you can live for, that you can stand on. For your children, all my children will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace. How about that one? Or every other area, search the Scriptures. There's places that you can stand on, like these wonderful women. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Everything is possible for one who believes. Mark 9. So the last thing, don't be afraid, just believe when there doesn't appear to be enough. So let's read Luke chapter 9, and we're at the bottom of the page, now we're almost done. Verses 12 to 17. It's getting quiet in here, either you're tired, or you're contemplating, you're ruminating, the word's going inside and you're going, okay... What does that mean for me? Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him. And actually, what does that mean for all of us? Because we are actually in this place. If there ever was a word that God's speaking to the entire body of Christ, don't be afraid. Just believe. That's where we're at. Right? And that means plays its way out in all kinds of ways for all of us. New jobs, new situations. Where do I go to school? How do I educate my kids? How do I make a living? Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. 
Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So, very nice story. I like it. But they're still having to feed all these people with just a little bit, and the Lord multiplies it, right? This is a place that we're all in right now. We exert the faith. He multiplies it. He doesn't give us all out. You know, even this Ukrainian war, we're going to have to walk this out a step at a time. And when you're praying for anything right now, pray for the leaders that they would be, because they can't fix it in one shot. It's going to have to be played out. Where does this thing go? Pray for wisdom for your rulers that they will know the right time and procedure and where to go with this thing, right? We're not very good at process. Some of us are wired to go fast, and some of us are wired to go way slow. Somewhere or another, our country is going to have to find the wisdom for what to do here in this situation, what to do with Russia and the whole thing. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just give us wisdom and give our leaders wisdom of what to do. I pray you would give them supernatural wisdom, whether they walk with God or not. I pray you give it to them anyway, because the church is asking for supernatural wisdom on their behalf. They may not know God. They may not walk with God. They may think they know God. But, Lord, there are people that walk with God even in the government, and there are people that are walking with God just like we are, and we're praying for our government. And you said, first of all, to pray for all those who are in authority. So in faith, we pray for those who are in authority. I don't care if it's Democrats or Republicans. They still need to do the right thing. If they don't do the right thing, we're all going to be a mess. So I pray over our own area and over the government in the name of Jesus should help them to do the right thing. And Lord, we're not only asking, but we're declaring that they will do the right thing because there's a government besides the government and it's called the Holy Nation. And the Holy Nation has risen up around the world and I pray, God, you would bring peace in this situation. You would show us where war needs to be waged, where this needs to be done, that needs to be, where justice needs to be dispensed, where mercy needs to be dispensed. I pray, God, for our government and for our rulers in any way that we can play in that, whether how we vote or how we proceed, how we pray. I pray you would fire us up all over the world, all the Christians all over the world, to pray and to look into this situation. And, Lord, we thank you for all the ones on the front lines. All those in Europe especially that are uh, taking and shielding these people coming uh, from the Ukraine and loving them and helping them and all the money that's going forth and being donated, including from us. In Jesus' name. By the way, we're gonna, I found a way uh, to be a part of this benevolent thing. And, and you know, when I do things overseas or places, I don't just like to give it to anyone. I need to know that they're going to do a good job. I need to know them personally. I know I need a track record. Well, I have my track record. And I made a deal with them. So if you want to give to the Ukraine uh, for benevolence, for these people that are pouring across into Poland and all the other places, then you can just give to the church, make it VCC, and just put uh, um, Ukraine. Yeah, that'd be great. And then, yeah, yeah, thank you. Just put a thing or, or whatever like that. We're going to do it. We're going to help. We can't let this happen. I mean, we can't. Some of us maybe physically can go uh, there to help, but we have to help. We can't leave, let this thing go. And uh, we can't leave it on just the Europeans to do this. We'll have to help them. But they're the front line. The European churches, by the way, there's all kinds of vineyards that are getting involved with this in Europe. So we're going to help the vineyard churches in Europe and also the associations connected to them that can feed, take care of. There are many people now in Europe are taking people in their own homes. It's this amazing thing. The holy nation, the church, is rising up in Europe. It's just a great thing. It's a great excuse for the, the European church just to grow and explode and to be a blessed. I tell you, this is a great time for them and a great time for us. It's always a great time for us to sow into pressing needs, right? Yeah. 
All right. A little advertisement with the Ukraine. Here, where was I? Okay. Uh, the all, so, okay. Well, I have no idea where I was. Okay, here we go. More than enough, 12, 17. Okay. You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000. Almost done here, so hang on. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And with regard to this Ukrainian thing, that's going to happen through the church. They're all going to be eating. They're going to be satisfied. Matter of fact, they're going to be better because many of them are going to get saved through this whole thing. I'll tell you, there's going to, this is a great one of the greatest times and seasons for Europe to have a revival. This is a time, this is a great time, a great season for uh, things that we thought were dead in Europe to breathe in life again and for spiritual life to be exhibited all over the country. It's an amazing season right now. You watch and see the church in Europe is going to explode. And uh, it's going to explode in Eastern Europe and Western Europe and all over the place. And I want to, like we do in Asia, I want to throw some money at it and maybe go visit a little bit and be a part of it. How about you guys? All right. Okay, good. All right. Thanks, Carl. So, verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I like that. Broken pieces that were left over. In God's economy, there's always more than enough. You figured that out yet? Okay, this is really important, because maybe in your life, you don't feel that. Maybe you all feel like, why am I always skimping along? You're always skimping along because you don't have a worldview for anything more. That's number one. And number two, you're selfish. You haven't learned to give in every area. Your time, energy, money. You may not have money. Give your time. Whatever you do, God will use it and multiply. So part of that is the prosperity in the future and it unrolls and unfolds. We also want it immediately. Okay, I gave that amount of money. Okay, do it now. No. Sometimes it could work like that. But for the most part, you just have a lifestyle of sowing, lifestyle of giving, a lifestyle of caring, and a lifestyle, more importantly, of believing that this is my lifestyle. This is who I'm being. Why does he have things left over? He's making a point. I am the God of abundance. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm an abundant God. I'm the good measure, pressed down, shaken together God. Give and it should be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. So we have to believe that somewhere on the inside of us and leave the poverty and be generous and at the same time Listen to God to meet pressing needs. It's very, very powerful right now. Not just financially, but every which way about our life. Generous with our time. Generous with our person. This is a time now, my goodness, so many people are broken. It's not going to be money only that the people that are homeless need. They need people. They need someone to say, I love you. I will help you. I will encourage you. You may not have money, but you have something else to give. And I'll tell you what, to the least person on the street... Just a kind word and a kind greeting and not looking at them like they're always lepers or drive, walking on the other side of the road really helps because actually some of the people that are poor in our culture and everything, the most important thing they need is they need to be a human being again. They need to have someone look at them in the eye and say, hi, how are you? That's what I'm noticing. And it helps because when you're alone and you're isolated, sleeping under a tree or begging money or whatever, you may not have anything to give them, but you can say Hello. Don't treat people like lepers. They won't even get well if you put them the money to them, but you don't include them. And so this is a big thing, and, and people that are mentally ill, I don't know why I'm getting on this, but anyway, uh, well, I'll just say, people that are really not doing well, they just need your love, and they need your encouragement, and need a greeting, and they need people to be polite and kind to them. All right? And it goes farther than you can imagine. Matter of fact, in the end, I'll go and prophesy something to you. Here's how 
people who are mentally ill and deep in mental distress are going to get healed. It's, they're going to get healed through the love of people who accept them from who they are, be willing to be friends with them, and keep checking up on them. That's how they're going to get healed. Because they feel like they don't have anybody. They feel the most lonely in the world. It's not only they don't have any money, they're alone. The church is wired for this. So don't be afraid to be kind and uh, polite and greet people. And even if all you can do is greet them, they need to know one of the hardest things for people that are homeless is people always walk on the other side of the world because they don't know what to say. Just greet them. Look them in the eye and say, Hi, how are you? Good to see you today. I mean, well, you think, well, I should be giving them. No, you don't have to necessarily do that. Give that away. Believe me, it's important. They need to feel like people. That's part of their healing process. If we want to heal the broken, we have to love and give. Give of ourself, our time, our energy, you know, our attention. Not walk on the other side of the road, right? Man, I keep sliding back into this. All right. Uh, releasing the kingdom usually involves overcoming inadequacy. <laughs> Don't you hate that? Jesus set it up that way. So he takes his disciples and he sends them out. He says, okay, guys, I'm going to send you out. They go, oh, good, we're going to do the kingdom of God. And then he says, don't take a staff, don't take a bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave town. If people do not welcome you, leave that town, shake the dust out of your feet as a testimony against them. Oh, my gosh. We're going to go on a journey. Well, I don't want to go on that kind of journey. What do you mean? No extra shirt, no bread, no bag. This is, this is hard. You know, in that time also, which you might not know, is people were not hospitable towards strangers. In the history of the world, people are very tribal, especially in past you don't you don't go one village to another without oh hey joe no they're very suspicious of you so they're going to hostile territory everywhere they go and he says don't take anything not even a bag nothing just go right wow even when there doesn't appear to be enough just go believe right second corinthians chapter 12 getting here to the end i hope you're still with me are you still with me thank you Lacey. i really like you so, you know, if you could just learn to be like Lacey, I'd be very happy with you. Right there. She cheers me on. That's really good. So everybody be like Lacey. She's a good example, right? Just here's all you have to do to be like Lacey. Just say, yes, yes. I know Lacey's in the house when that happens. All right. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my weak power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may work, uh, may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So all ministry involves overcoming inadequacy. And Paul took it to another place. I mean, like he's going out of his way, just like Jesus did with the disciples. Don't take anything. He's going out of his way to be inadequate, to not having enough so that God could be strong. We go out of our way to make sure we are not adequate in the least, right? And even the way we do church is the same way. But can I just say this about the things that we're facing right now? This is a season where there's no maps. So we're going to have to just launch out there and try.
to do things that we never have done before. We're going to have to, let me say, we're going to have to launch into political issues that we never have done before. We're going to have to go to school board meetings we've never done before. We're going to have to deal with the drugs and alcohol issues and the poor in a way we've never done before. This is all part of it. We want to be all experts before we even get down the road, but I'm learning something about God. If you want to go into new territory for your personal life, for your family, a new business, whatever, you've got to be willing to be inadequate and step out of it and let the thing unfold. We want the whole thing to just, boom, there it is. But you go step by step by step. That's how God almost always does it. And along the way, He takes you on this journey, and while you're taking these steps, He's discipling you all along the way. Learning, teaching, growing, doing things with you. That's why the kingdom doesn't move very far. Sometimes even in affluent countries because they want to have the whole thing perfect before you even get involved. That's why we're having such a hard time with homelessness and things like that. We want it to be all perfect. We want to build a perfect place. Perfect. You just you can't grow that way. In your own life, you have to rebuild your life that way. Some of you are involved in new businesses and new adventures. Your, your old thing dried up. The horse you were riding on, whew, dead. Put it out of its misery. Boom. Okay, that felt good. Now what do I do? Some of you are in that in-between stage. So you shot the old horse. And now you wish you wouldn't have shot the old horse because at least you had a horse. Right? And that's where we are. We are, right? So even when there doesn't be afra- isn't enough, don't be afraid. And, and Paul, like he's making a whole religion out of it. You know, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in weaknesses. I don't know about you, but I haven't got to that place yet. In insults, I've prob- never got that yet. I haven't got there yet. Hardships, I'm learning. Persecutions, I'm probably not there. In difficulties, I'm learning. For when I am weak, I am strong. I am beginning to learn that. You're stronger than you think. Miracles can take us forward in the Lord or away from the Lord, depending on our response. And so I'm going to just say this is Mark chapter 8, and it's a very good lesson. So remember when Jesus multiplies the food, right? So he does it twice. I mean, thousands and thousands of people. This is so important for us right now, because many of us are walking in wildernesses, and the Lord is giving us righteous ravens food right now. He's helping us through very difficult, stringent times, right? And we're learning, right? So it's so important to listen to what I'm going to say. So there's all these people, and he feeds them. He's multiplying food. He does it again. Remember that? Two times. Now listen to this. Disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for the loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. He said to them, Do you still not get it? Do you still not understand? Good question for us. Do you still not get it? I've provided for you in the past. They're meant for you to remember, to put in a holy place, to use, to pay forward to the next miracle. If you forget to do that, whatever experience you went through in the past did you no good. 
So God is taking the church upward and onward. To go upward and onward, we're going to have to remember this time that we went through and how God provided for us. Not look at it as something, uh, a horrible uh, nightmare, a thing that happened in the past. Whoa, glad we're over that. No, we take what we learned and we move the kingdom forward with what we've learned so, so that it did us some good. So that we take the kingdom in our own life, in our own family, and move it forward faster. This place that we're in right now is meant, not meant for less, it's meant for more. It's not meant for less in the kingdom, it's meant for more. It's meant for more money, more finance, more salvations, more healing, more deliverance, more, not less. We are the salt of the earth. You cannot be the salt of the earth if you cannot remember what Jesus did for you yesterday. If you can't tally it in your spirit, you can, you'll always be afraid. The only way you become brave is you see God deliver you over and over and over again, and you remember it, you hold it in your heart, so that when you have to go exercise faith again, you can do it again, right? That's how the kingdom works, right? Don't be afraid. Just believe. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord, we just thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for all this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us in the time of Nero, in the times of really rough times, in the times when the gospel was just starting and the church was just beginning. They're all our fathers in the Lord and they teach us. And your word has been recorded so we could learn and be instructed. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would just help us in this season, this great season. I'd just like the worship team to come up if they can a little bit. And um, I'd like anybody that uh, just feels... Um, like they need to respond to this word. Because I could feel as I'm speaking that all of you, you know, are at different points of the pendulum on this. Because this COVID crisis, the good news about it is the bad news, it's encompassed everything, right? So almost nobody in this room has been left untouched in this in some way, right? Or maybe if it hasn't touched you yet, you're worried it's going to touch you, Right? So either it's happened or you're worried it's going to happen, right? Something negative, something bad about my job, my family, whatever, right? So I just think that now's a moment that maybe we could just make some changes in the inside. Remember, in the kingdom of God, things always change on the inside before they change on the outside. So they're having this horrible time about having no bread in the boat because on the inside, they can't remember what happened already, how God provides. They had already forgotten that God had done this and this, and they thought he couldn't have any. He says, only a handful of miracles, and we're out of bread, and surely he wouldn't do anything in this little old situation. So it's meant to apply. So they needed to stir that and remember. So I thought maybe today, just think about the things you're going through. And maybe as you respond in prayer today, just let the Lord bring faith to you. Let Him talk to you about your life. Let Him give you a life review. And as you're praying, you can do it this way. Instead of, Lord, God, have mercy. Let me say, Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done here and here. I recognize your mighty hand on me. Now as I'm standing here at the front, would you please take care of this? Would you do that? That would be a good way to approach this time. Let God give you a little of thank you notice with the Lord for a moment and then from there declare more things that you need okay so I think a number of you may need to do this up in the front so just come up in the front it'll be good for you just come and stand before the Lord and maybe there'll be some people uh, that will come and help maybe I'll have Aaron make that announcement for you guys to come up and
Just don't be bold. You don't have to come up. You can do it in your chair. I would encourage everyone just to take a, a, two minutes, five minutes, to let the Lord review your life. Right? And the first thing you do in the review is say, God, thank you for this, 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 and this. And then go, but I need a little help over here, here, and here, and here. All right? Would God meet you here in this moment? doesn't take a lot of time. You don't have to be here all afternoon. Just let this word do you some good. Go inside and do you some good. So I encourage you as we're worshiping to just pray and do some business. And maybe there'll be someone that'll come along up in the front uh, and they can pray with you a little bit. It's nice to have someone join with you. So give us a minute and then we'll invite some of the ministry to come up and uh, we'll just pray along with you and uh, just ask God to help. So as they... Uh, ministry comes along. Maybe you guys will find people to pray for. Or maybe people will come to you. So, Aaron, why don't you make that announcement?